All right, Matthew 16, starting in verse 13, it's um, interesting time. Jesus had walked with his disciples for, for a while. He had lived uh, 30 so years on, on this earth, um, just being Jesus. <laughs> you know, where the old what would Jesus do th- bracelet thing came from. It's just kind of look at what he did. Um, and, and a handful of, of things had happened. Jesus began to teach. He, he had begun to really gain this following of people who were really drawn to this man who represented something obviously bigger than himself, who what he did for some reason, and I wonder if people even really fully understood why, but for some reason they were incredibly drawn to him. There was something about who he was, what he was about, that people were drawn to him and they were beginning to follow and some really neat things were beginning to happen. But he had yet to come out and say, oh, by the way, I am the son of God. Um, and so they're sitting around. Um, for some reason in my brain, I look back at the scripture where they're sitting around a fire or not. Maybe that's my language. But I feel like they, they, they were, I know they were sitting around. They were too, Jesus was just speaking to the disciples and it says in verse 16, it says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and so others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. It's interesting, not one of them said, hey, you know, some of them are saying that you're the Messiah, the one that they've waited for. But, but a good teacher, a prophet, a good man who, who was testifying of when God would, would come. All, all these really good things, those were all compliments. In this day, if you were called one of these things, that meant that someone was looking at you with endearing eyes. And they were, this was meant to be a positive thing. But as he asked them, they answered, then, then Jesus turned back and, and, and looks at him and says, but what about you? He says, who do you say that I am? And then Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And again, in my brain, I, I take this, and I, and, I, and, and I can't help but just see Jesus going, what about you? Just you. Who do you say that I am? He says, you're the Messiah. The Messiah is the, uh, the anointed one, the Redeemer. This Redeemer that comes to redeem what is broken and is fallen, that is... To redeem God's creation. The, the one coming to serve mankind. That, and Jesus replied to him. After this answer. Jesus replied. He said. Blessed are you Simon son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you. By flesh and blood. But my, but my, my father in heaven. And I love this, this word revealed. This is not revealed to you. By flesh and blood. He's saying. You didn't, you didn't learn this. You don't have this insight because some other dude told you this. It wasn't another a person or another just teacher or someone else that brought this insight to you. He's saying you're blessed because it wasn't man, but it was God who revealed this to you. This word, the revealed, it comes from the word, same word that means revelation. That in the Old Testament says, uh, without revelation, without this vision from God, without revelation, people perish so this is important that this insight is coming from from god that the spirit is moving and revealing to him and it says you are blessed he said blessed are you simon son of jonah for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood but by my father in heaven and i tell you 
this, this revelation that he is the Messiah, that, that he is the one who's, who rescues us, that he is the difference maker. We can live our faith, we can do all the right things and, and make all the sacrifices and do all these things, and it will never be enough, but he's recognizing that there is one who can be the ultimate sacrifice, that it is Jesus. And he saw this, and he said, and he said on this belief, okay, you are Peter, and on this rock, the word Peter means rock. And I think it's interesting that we'll come back to this. Notice he, this is, he changed his name. He, he, he went, first of all, he, he said you were Simon, uh, son of Jonah, which was not just his name, but his identity. Who he was was son of Jonah. And now he's changing his name and saying, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. This word church is the first time it's used in scripture. It, it's, uh, comes, the, the word is ecclesia and, and it means um, a gathering or a congregation of, of, of people. But it represents a whole body. Not just pieces, but a whole, this whole body. And when Jesus is saying my church, he doesn't mean a specific church like we would think. Oh, that's First Baptist so-and-so or community fellowship, that or what he's saying, the body. On this revelation of understanding who Jesus is and Jesus alone is this Messiah and this, okay, that I will build my church. And it says the gates of Hades will not overcome it. For those of you who know, Hades is, is the word, same word used for hell. So it's saying the gates of hell, all of this, everything that is the complete opposite of God, the consequences of sin, everything, death, eternally, um, will not overcome this church that he's talking about. Verse 19, he says, and I will give you, so he's talking about what happens because of who Peter is now, not because of just what he does at this point, but because of who he is in Christ. The church will build on that, and then he says, now here's what I'm going to do back to you. He says, now here's your marching orders. He says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, Whatever you bind on earth, so there's this idea of locking down with these keys, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So whatever you unlock and let go of then, and I struggle with this scripture most of my life, because, but as, I, but as, but as you look in this scripture, what it's really saying is that, that, that what we do with these keys, what we do what we unlock, what we, what we hold on to can have eternal impact. What we let go of can have eternal impact. That it's bigger than just this moment. Whatever we are holding on to in our, in our religion, in our faith, or even in our, in, in, in our flesh, that there is an impact in that. There is an impact, though, and there's this kingdom mindset. Now, when we think about the kingdom of God, what does that mean? Jesus prayed in the prayer uh, and the Lord's Prayer, right? Your kingdom come on earth it is, as it is in heaven. And so when we talk about kingdom, r- what we're talking about is the rule of God. Or the reigning of God. Well, where is kingdom? Well, if we were to look into scripture, we would know that the kingdom is anywhere that Jesus, you choose. Or the ways of God or the ways of Jesus is chosen over the ways of flesh. So when you or I choose the, a way of, of Jesus then he reigns in that moment, his kingdom breaks through in that moment. 
kingdom is hard to understand because we see a timeline like this. But Jesus talked about a kingdom that was, that was here, but not yet. So his kingdom is here where he rules and where he reigns in our hearts and our minds and our actions and, and, and our lives. But there is an actual physical kingdom, eternity, heaven, that will be established. The problem is, is when we believe in Christ, Jesus... And all we do then is just wait for that kingdom. And we just hold on and live a miserable existence here in this terrible world until Jesus, hurry up. I'm among all these pagans. What do I do? You know? And I'll be honest with you, that's kind of the church that I grew up in. That's the church that... And I don't think it was on purpose or, or whatever, but there was this separation or this idea. But Jesus said there's a new way that this church will be built on and, and the kingdom will break through in these moments. And it, and it doesn't take this person who has walked in faith for 20 or 30 years and is this wise man of faith for the kingdom to break through only there. It can be the greatest of sinners who just chooses to kneel to Christ. And in that moment, the kingdom breaks through. It's in that moment where you're struggling with a life decision and you actually pray about it and God reveals what you should do and you choose his way over your way, his want over your want. The kingdom breaks through in our church. We have these things that we want out of our church to provide or to experience. We have these ideas. Many of them come from how we grew up in church or our expectations in the Western world, whatever. But there are some things that we're just locking down and holding on to. We don't want to let go. Sometimes we need to let it go. And then there are other things, the commitment to the gospel, a commitment to the mission of Christ, the things we need to hold on to with all our heart, things we lock down and the things we let go. Let me ask you this, and this is not rhetorical. I really want to hear what you have to say because I'm not sure I know the full answer to this, but why do you think, why do you think Jesus wanted to live as a man for so long and tell his disciples, don't tell them I'm Jesus yet or the Messiah yet? Why was that so important? Why do you think, what is an advantage for Jesus just to walk among us? Maybe I'm walking into my own answer. Why, why do you think he did that? And why was that so significant? Why wasn't it just, okay, uh, Jesus was, was uh, you know, Scotty up in heaven beamed him down at age 30. And he was still Jesus. And then he died. Why, why was he born? And why did he live? And why was he here? Huh? Okay. Yeah, I think it's a combination. I think about baptism. One of the things that just I love about baptism is that Jesus did something. Baptism that John the Baptist baptized was a baptism for the repentance of sin, right? So Jesus comes down to John the Baptist and says, I want to get baptized. And John goes, whoa, he recognized who he was. I can't baptize you. You need to baptize me. And he said, remember, the, the, if you're if you to break it down, it, basically, it didn't just say, just let this happen. It said, suffer this, John. You have a way you want it to happen, but this is how it has to happen. You need to baptize me. Without, the dude without sin needed to get baptized. It was a new baptism. 
But it amazes me that Jesus, then what he was doing was identifying with our sin. He was identifying with our humanity in that act. That 2,000 years later, you and I can get in the water and go under and identify ourselves with him and his church, his bride. Beautiful. I think, I think you're right. That identity, being able to experience it. Why else? Anonymity. Why is that significant? Mm-hmm. He was just him. So anyone looking back at him, it was just like, yeah, that Jesus guy, he's a really good dude. He must be a prophet or a great teacher or a... Anything else come to mind? It's just so important that Jesus just lived this life. He was worthy of being followed even before anyone knew he was God. I thought, to me, that speaks so much. Um... That wasn't even part of the sermon. I was just curious. But what I do love is that when Jesus referred to himself, he was the one who called himself son of man. Throughout scripture, you hear son of man, son of man. It's he himself calling himself son of man like it does here. How amazing is that when I stop and think about this, that his posture is constantly to serve. And it's this identity thing. Son of Jonah now, Peter, he, he's teaching us something. I want to give us three things that are in your outline here that are of purpose, promise, and plan. And I'm sorry they all have a P at the beginning. I just, I just thought it would be fun to do. So there's a purpose, there's a promise, and there's a plan out of this scripture. I think in order to go where we're going, we need to think about it. The first one is this. The purpose is that if we keep our focus on the kingdom, Jesus will build his church. I think it's a huge mistake when pastors and churches think about how do we build our church. And I've said this before, and I believe with all my heart, Jesus never gave us the keys of the church. He gave us the keys of the kingdom. It's not my responsibility as pastor to build the church of Jesus. We're given the responsibility as church leaders and as, as, as Christians to make disciples. And we have an idea and a belief on how, what that's supposed to look like. But the church is supposed to just be the fruit of that. That church happens because Jesus is doing it when we do the things of Jesus. So when we focus our eyes on kingdom, church happens. Now, you and I also know that in the Western church, there's a lot of context. There's a lot of things we've got to do. Some strategies and some from children's ministries and all these things that we have to do to make church happen. But this is just a reminder that our job in, in making disciples and in being disciples is to focus on the kingdom and trusting Jesus with the church. The reason I want to say that is because from the very beginning, our goal at ANC has never been just to build a church. That actually scared me. I don't know that I want to be a part of that. Um... And so through that lens, we have made almost every decision we've made. How we serve, what we do, how we do community, how we do worship. Um, everything that we do is through the lens of how do we be about the kingdom. And believing and trusting and hoping God, Jesus would build his church. But this scripture is reminding us that if we keep our focus on the kingdom, Jesus will build uh, his church. And then the promise the promise is that the church Jesus builds will overcome the gates of Hades, will overcome the gates of hell. The church that this promise here, this scripture, the promise is 
Not that if we just get together and call ourselves a church and worship once a week and do whatever, that will overcome the gates of hell. Promise is, is that the church that Jesus builds. So there's this progression. We're about the kingdom. Jesus builds his church. The, the church that Jesus builds, the gates of hell will not overcome. Now, that does not give me a picture of a powerless church. That does not give me a picture of an anemic church. That does not give me, in my mind, maybe I'm wrong, it does not give me this, a, a, a church that is not being transformed and changed and impacting and making a difference. And, and I think there's, a, there's something wrong with that. Today in America, I've said this before, um, we, the, the church in America is on steady decline. Studies are showing that 48,000 people in America leave the church every week. Now more than ever, people are leaving because they're looking for something more. Not just because they don't like God anymore. They're, they're, they're losing faith in the church and what we're about and who we are and what we say and what we do. We're losing credibility in that as, as the church uh, itself. And... What I believe, because I felt this way, and I've seen a lot of people, I've had conversations with so many of them, and they say the same thing. They say, if that church, if the church is really the church of God, of the church that Jesus spoke of, then there's got to be something more powerful happening than that. Why am I not being transformed? Why am I not being challenged? Why do I not feel uncomfortable at all? If God's moving, there's going to be some discomfort. It's going to call you to some sacrifice and some self-denial. That's going to happen. Scripture tells us very clearly. And when there is a lack of that, you kind of have to go, huh, what are we missing? When there's a lack of power. Because this scripture tells us it's powerful. And the third thing is a plan. Simply that the kingdom breaks through when we choose the ways of Jesus. When we choose the ways of the ways of Jesus. So what, what are those? We spent the first year of our church studying the book of John just as, because it chronicled the life and the ministry of Jesus. Just go, okay, if we're going to do church, let's do it like Jesus did it. Let's figure that out. What does that have to look like in our lives? What do we need uh, to be about? And as you look through scripture, you discover a couple of things, actually three things that Jesus really pushes us toward that we've talked about. The first one is uh, simply this conversion to understanding that he is the Messiah. That we come to that, that surrender of heart that, of knowing that the only way we can be reconciled back to God is through the Messiah, through Jesus himself. And that there is a literal conversion to him. But that it doesn't just end there, but there is also this conversion to his bride and being a part of the body that Jesus said he would build. You may be sitting here today going, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not sure I got to go to church to do that. I, I would argue with you that Jesus did not set this whole thing up for us to go at it alone. One, because it's not about you or me. It's about a bigger story. But two, the beauty of it is, as we go, we go shoulder to shoulder. Not only is the impact greater, God could do it even without us. But we get this journey, we get this privilege, this honor of being shoulder to shoulder together, doing real life together. We're actually maybe liking each other along the way. 
So there's this conversion not only to him as Messiah, but to his body. And then he teaches over and over and over then to his mission. That it's not just about us and what we do or who we are, what we get to experience on Sunday or who we get to say we are as the church. But there's this mission, there's this, this thing that's way bigger uh, than any of us that we get to be a part of. So what is your lot? What is your lot? Your lot. Um, a lot of you, I mean, most of you guys know that we've adopted recently. And um, one of the things that surprised me about adoption internationally is, is I had this idea that if you adopt from Ethiopia, that every orphan you run into just will have no parents. They won't have any parents because the, the, they died from AIDS or died from some other disease that they shouldn't have died from or, or something like that. There's just no, no hope, whatever. And long story short, God led us towards adopting Ben, who was on the waiting children's list, which usually is filled with kids who have two things against them. Either one, they're extremely sick or have some kind of handicap, or two, they're too old because um, the older children don't get adopted as easily. And so, but we fell in love with Ben on the internet. Just saw his picture on the waiting kids list, had had been uh, orphaned for a couple years and and uh, when, we, when we were placed with him and we went to Ethiopia, we, because he was older, we got to hear more of his story. And his story was, was unique. His story uh, was that his parents divorced. But because of the poverty who was, that was around them and the, among the family, not, no one would take him. So they found themselves at the courthouse just going, we're le- divorcing. None of us, mom, do you want him to know? Dad, do you want him to know? Any family members want him to know? And so here's this little six-year-old boy standing before a judge hearing this. And the judge looked at him and said, well, what about you? What do you want to do? What do you think of this? And we were told that that little Ben said, well, he goes, if my mom doesn't want me, And my dad doesn't want me. He goes, what is my lot? And the judge said, there's a better way. This is where you are now, but there's, there's, there is, there is a way. And I wonder if in his mind, he's thinking, is my lot to be on the streets? Is my lot to be in an institution, an orphanage uh, for the rest of my life? Is my lot to grow up without a family? And the judge said, no, that's not your lot. There's a better way, this thing called adoption. There's this thing where family will take you in as their own. They will call you a son. and will give you a life and a hope. What is your lot? What is our lot in knowing that we're broken, we're lost without Jesus, and now we are adopted into, because of Jesus, into this, and we're called sons of God. We're given the right to become sons and daughters of God. What is our lot? What does that then look like? Second Corinthians, I'm going to look at this scripture real quick. Uh, chapter 3. I'm going to read in... Uh, Starting in verse 15, it's talking about 
this veil that covers our minds and our hearts where we can't see the truth of Christ, the truth of... And it says, um, well, there's no hope, you know? And it says, even to this day when Moses is read, speaking of the law, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. It says, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The Lord speaking of Jesus. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, which tells us what that looks like. And we, who with unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory. And we are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I saw a quote this week from Tolstoy. It says, everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. See, there's a deeper reality in this whole thing that's going on. And what it is, is that Jesus is a very personal Savior uh, who wants to change us. Uh, who wants to transform us into his likeness. And it's an ever-increasing process. But I would argue that this church that Jesus is talking about is not a church where we go, I'm being changed. I, can't, I, I'm, I go to church now. It doesn't end there. There's more. This is our lot. Uh, if, if, if all it is is this simple, okay, well, okay, I'll be a Christian. Or, okay, I'll go to church every now and then. Uh, here's what will happen. Your faith will fail you. It, it will remain powerless. It will not have what you are seeking. But when you seek him with all you have and seek to be a part of his body and his mission to be a part of this thing, it, it, it literally changes us. So as I look at this scripture, it's interesting. The scripture in Matthew 16, where Jesus says, who do you say that I am? This verse is talking about, guys, who do you say that I am, Jesus says. But the key to that is, is, is more than that. It's that who am I to you and who are you in me? Who are you in Christ? Because it becomes something collectively that is so powerful that it overcomes hell. I love this scripture. I love this scripture in 2 Corinthians where it talks about uh, um, we who with unveiled faces, those with unveiled faces, it says reflect. That word means to contemplate, to think through. We're unveiled faces. Now we, we contemplate the Lord's glory, his goodness and his greatness and what he's doing. And we have to ask the question, who am I in Christ? Who are uh, you? What is our lot? Well, here's our reality. Um, there's two pieces to this. One, who are you? And the other thing is, who are we? From the first day, we began to pray about this church. I said, God, what do you want us to do? He said, serve the poor and be about my kingdom. And I didn't know how to do either of those. I didn't even know what one of them meant. But we've been committed to that. That, is, that has been our lot. 
And there are much more, there's much more to that. You know that if you've been around. There's so much more to that and there always will be. But what we're finding as we seek the kingdom, as we seek to pour, humble ourselves and pour into those who have less, who are oppressed, who are abandoned, that all those other things happen naturally. They just line up. So we focus on the revelation, the thing God said do and Jesus said do and scripture says do all throughout thousands of verses and the rest begins to fall into place so this is this is our lot to be about serving the poor and about the kingdom and here's we had a meeting a few months ago where we talked about well, what's next for us as a and c and i said i don't know it's just there's something something is happening something is going on and 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 as we outgrow this facility and as we think about what's next in, in our lives we we've been We've been driving around, we're looking at, at buildings, we're looking at ideas, we're thinking about uh, smaller churches all over the place or, or a place where we go over to a nonprofit center, we could do all this, and we're praying and we're praying and praying. And we say, God, what do you want us to do? And he just says, serve the poor. Like, what does that mean? And what we believe our lot is, is just to constantly ask, how do we best serve? How do we best Become the likeness of Christ to our community and our world. And trusting that Jesus will build his church. So we would invite you to continue to pray with us. Because we don't know what's next. But what we do believe is it is about the journey. And going there. Here's something though. Um, individually as well as collectively that we believe and we are praying towards. Um, there are times that God just says, I want you to do this. Usually individually, you hear those things very specifically and you can't get away from them. And I think then sometimes collectively, there are these things that happen that God says, do this. But sometimes just in the spirit of who we are and who we're called to be, God gives us this impression of where we're moving. And uh, we want to present this morning this idea um, that we are, we are praying that God moves in this way specifically as we try to focus on the poor and focus of the kingdom uh, at ANC. And so as you look on your outline, we're praying God moves in 2012 in these, in these specific ways. And it captures the heart of what God has been doing in our church. The first one is this. We're praying God moves in 2012 uh, that we are able to build 12 houses in Haiti for human trafficking victims and the most vulnerable aged out orphan girls in Haiti. We've been doing that. We've been partnering with them. Uh, we just really believe that this is something that we can do as a church somehow. Um, those of you who know about what that is, it's through helping local poverty. Um, the houses are $6,000. Three bedrooms. Well, they're not, you know, they, they, have, they have three bedrooms. They'll house three girls and a, and, a, and a house mom. My prayer, our prayer is that somehow, whether it's, whether it's through you personally to do it, whether it's through a group of, of people you work with that you, you do that, whether it's through your restore group, you commit throughout the year, let's do X amount of fundraisers or whatever to raise at the end of the year. We want to have $6,000 as a count that we could commit to this safe house in Haiti. We, just, we pray that that is how we can uh, serve. Maybe it's among your poker buddies. You can raise $6,000 at the end of the we're praying that God continues with the spirit of adoption and that God raises 12 new families to adopt or foster. And maybe you. Everybody just got goosebumps. And like, oh, don't be. 
You'll know. Don't worry about it. You'll know. You won't be able to get away from it. We're praying that through the ministries here at A&C that we're able to start 12 uh, new restore groups. 12. My heart is that half of them will be from your group just reaching people from your communities and that you need to reproduce yourself and start another group and that maybe half of them would be just new through through A&C um, people coming on Sunday. Um, last two things. Um, we've started these relationships with these organizations where we're able to serve them, the ones who are serving orphans and homeless families and things like that. We're now at the place, a lot of, because of the work of Matthew Hansen, we're in this place now where they're asking us, these girls are transitioning out of the orphanages here in Austin area. There are these, these families transitioning off the streets. There are these women in these, in these uh, battered women and children's homes and shelters that are trying to transition back into society. And we need families to kind of come along shoulder to shoulder with them and kind of adopt them and saying, I'm, I'm your go-to person. And we're praying that we can help 12 families in that way. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's your restore group. Whatever that may be. And the last one is we really believe uh, in our heart that God is, is calling us towards taking some next steps in community uh, development in our city. We're not sure fully what that looks like yet, but the more we study and the more we research and the more we pray, um, different guys have different words for each of these, but it comes with the idea of relocation, reconciliation, and reallocation. What we do know is the first step is is relocating and moving into the communities of the greatest need. And so we're praying that God would raise up, it doesn't mean leave A&C or anything, but it just means to move into these areas. We're praying that God would raise up 12 families that are so concerned about community and what God is doing and those who are broken in our own city, in our own county, in our own area, that we're willing literally to live among them. And here's the thing, it will take everyone in this room, either directly or indirectly, to accomplish even half of these. But I can't help but keep going back to James chapter 2, where it says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister who's not clothes and daily food, if one of you says to him, go and I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. Matthew 16 said, on this rock I will build my church. I just think God wants to do some, something in each of us this year that is so scary, but is so cool and is so selfless and is so amazing that you will never, ever be able to look at church again and go, that's powerless. And, and you will never find yourself going, man, your church, that's, instead you go in our church. This is us. Let's pray.